Hey everyone, today Kyle and I are joined by our good friend Brian Mathis. We met Brian at The Edge, which is the startup incubator and accelerator in Tuscaloosa. He's been very successful in our school's business plan pitch competitions for his idea called Locality, which will let, uh, we'll let him explain to you all when he starts talking here in a minute. Uh, he's come in the top three for two years in a row, earning some pretty sizable prize money towards his business. Uh, we didn't actually know each other, but he ended up being one of my good friend's roommates without us knowing, so that was a fun connection. And he's one of the most passionate and intense people about his ideas. And he loves talking about it and sharing his theories about social groups and why his idea would be so beneficial to them. So with that, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem, man. Glad to be here. It's fun. Appreciate it. Uh, so the first question is you're very passionate and intense about the things that you're interested in. I'm curious when you were younger, uh, maybe as a kid in high school or just as a child, what were some of your passions or obsessions or things that really captivated your interest? So as a child, I always wanted to experiment on things Okay. Uh, per se. And I never really actually followed rules. I just kind of took something and tried to be creative or do something stupid. And in my imagination, I said, this did this. I remember I took like a piece of styrofoam and colored it or did something to it once instead of the time machine. You know, I, like stuff mm-hmm. like that always preoccupied my mind as a child. And then as I grew older, uh, middle school and high school, swimming was like my obsession. Uh, it was just, it was just so fun to compete and think about swimming all the time. But, you know, getting into college, that transition of no longer being an athlete, and then also, uh, kind of sensing that I swimming in a way isolated me because I was, you know, having to travel 30 minutes for practice Mm -hmm. and none of my school friends were involved with swimming. And so I just kind of found this disconnect and that's kind of where the sparks locality came from was mm-hmm. my senior year of high school driving around. Uh, I'd messaged several people. No one responded to me um, just because they were busy or you know, whatever else they were doing, but they didn't have a chance to just go hang out for a casual like hour, two hour block. So I just drove around aimlessly and then this kind of hit me. What if I could like, you know, find a way to connect with people easier? Cause I could message an entire group message, but people typically ignore those type of messages because there's a lot of negative signals of saying like, Hey, I'm super lonely. Come like join me or something. Um, even though probably there was at least two or three people that also wanted to go do something. Absolutely. That's kind of where the idea for locality came through. Okay. That's great. So could you give a description of founding locality? Uh, you started a little bit about how you had the idea, but when you actually started turning it from something you thought would be nice if it existed into creating it, could you get into that? Yeah, so really it's just kind of the idea was always kind of simmering in the back of my head um, all of freshman year of college. And then I did Startup Weekend, and I realized I can turn this into a business. I was in the STEM program, and I was trying to see. And it took me a while to find the right team, the right group of people. And then once I found the right people, uh, you know, it, it, it started turning into something real, not just an idea. Um, and that's the craziest thing is even now that it's a real app, it's on the App Store. Uh, we're still finding ways to make it more real in the sense of not just the idea of like, you know, this is how we're going to do it, of connecting people and making it easier for people to connect, but um, in real life, but that how do we actually get that to fruition instead of just putting it in a box and saying, this is what's going to work. How do we actually make it work? Okay. Um, uh, and what situations does it work? Yeah. Can we back up a couple steps and explain just more what locality is, where the name come from, yeah. what the user experience is, what it's designed to accomplish, what it currently accomplishes, those kinds of things? Of course. Yeah. So locality is all about helping people connect in real life and in person. 
So, you know, we all have, I think this is one of the big things locality looks at is that um, we all have people that we're connected to, but not our closest friends or even our closest friends, but we don't know everyone's schedule perfectly. So how do we connect each other in those instances where schedules fall through of we have some free time or we have something scheduled, but we want someone else to join us, but we don't know their schedule also aligns with ours. So the whole idea of locality is, and the definition of locality is people together in a location or place doing an activity um, of the same activity. And the flux of locality changes throughout the day, depending on what people are doing in an area. And so the whole idea of locality was to try to capture that and help people link up at the same time when they have their similar interests and groups align. And so the functionality right now as it is, is you choose what groups you want to like, you know, reach out to and then say, these are the uh, range of activities I'm looking to do right now. And then it kind of starts things off so people can kind of join in or kind of start a conversation around going to do that. Particularly like closer to the moment is the goal as soon as possible. Okay. Not it's more like spontaneous, not more spontaneous, not planned, but um, hopefully we can figure out the balance between that. Okay. And uh, you're telling us the story of how it got started. You said startup weekend. How long ago was that? Is that startup weekend 18, 17, 19? I was like 16. 16. Startup weekend. That was your freshman year of college or when was that? Yeah, freshman year of college. Okay. Wow. And so how many iterations would you say you've gone through in idea and teams? And uh, so I went through one team that we just kind of stuck together that weekend and talked about a bunch of stuff. And the next year, I just kind of like didn't really worry about it because that team wasn't able to get anything together. So I just kind of like, you know, focused really hard on school. And then about that time, I heard about Aldag, the business plan competition. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's when I met Lily and Alex. And we got a team together. And then we did well placing first in that competition. Um, and then that's when we reached out to Ethan and got okay. Ethan on board. Who's your programmer? Who's our developer? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So how do you say your strategy towards the business or your outlook towards it changed after the success in that competition? Did that make you more confident in it or how did that kind of change things for you getting some money to work on the project? It definitely made me more confident in the sense that this is something I can accomplish and I need to put like focus and time towards. It always been something like, Oh, I can make this happen or it would be really great. But you know, receiving an award kind of made me realize, okay, there is something to this and there is a way to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much um, so time were you spending um, on the project throughout the school year? Because you, you know you're in a pretty pretty tough yeah. major with metallurg- metallurgical engineering. So like, yeah. how were you able to balance that, or or did you not? And you just you just did it in sprints, like for yeah. Aldag, and then over the summer that type of thing. That was really my biggest issue in this last like go around is that I didn't have a great balance. I just like the second I'd see something pop up, I'd do it, mm-hmm. and so. Um, that was kind of my issue is I always kept finding things to look how to do read about research or like work on or hey this isn't working out or like look over the data and just try to figure things out and just kind of get anecdotal stories which is from using it and talking to users mm-hmm. um and so yeah with metallurgical engineering it was like I, I struggled last semester a lot um because of the weird balance with it well uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about the users can you give some examples you said uh before we were talking before the interview started there have been some successful facilitations of social groups and people hanging out through the app. Can you get a little bit into what experiences have come together from people using the app? Yeah, of course. Um, my the one really example that's been sticking with me recently um, is because 
we've, we we kind of saw not a, the great success we were hoping to see mm-hmm. from just people getting together at random by clicking some buttons and then seeing each other on the app and then going to do something. But what we saw success in was when people were already together in a group or doing something, um, then pressing buttons, then they go do something different together that wasn't planned. Okay. Or they already had a social context, as we to kind of call it, of you know, social understanding of where they're going um, that leads them into a new context through locality. And so my prime anecdotal story for this is I went to a startup strength uh, event and there was another group there called Spark Tuscaloosa. Uh, Josh Shahib, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, is like kind of the leader of that group. And he got like a bunch of a mall in locality, tell them all about it. And they were just kind of playing around with the app, you know, putting their names in, like hitting some buttons, like, oh man, I want to get some food after we get some drinks. And then four or five of us like hit that button and like saw someone wanted food. And we're like, oh, we're all hungry. And realized like, it wasn't just a joke. We'd actually go get food. And ended up four of us went to get food together at Taco Mama down the street, which was not planned. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone with these people. I didn't know at all if they just came up to me and asked me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, so this kind of helped facilitate that. So we're trying to really find ways of how do you take a already known setting that people are comfortable with and transition them to a new one. And we think this like, locality can be useful for that. Well, I think what you talked about there and just described actually proves a really interesting example of how that could work because everyone on the app silently kind of in their own private space puts in like communicates to nobody just in a friction free way. Hey, these are the things I'd be interested in doing after this without any sort of social pressure of people wanting to do it or not. Whereas, you know, like you said earlier, you put something in a group chat and no one responds and all of a sudden you're the weird person who uh, just needs to use a group chat to find people to hang out with. But if instead in a very, silence kind of private way you express hey uh after this sure i'd like to eat i'd like to go do this i'd like to do that uh and no one doesn't really see that unless all of a sudden a lot of people express that same desire and all of a sudden it's cool and it happens so i think that's a really interesting way to make more social interactions happen that everyone wants without the pressure of communicating communicating that in a way that you might get rejected and uh feel left out of the group or feel negative emotional experiences from trying to communicate that in a different way. Yeah, that's definitely a good thought. And like, that's kind of the direction we've been trying to take it. Um, there's some, there's some difficulties trying to implement this in a lot of ways though. Uh, the current version, you can kind of see what everyone posts in particular groups that you're involved in. Um, the original version we worked with, uh, we called it based off reciprocity and the idea of like, you know, that we both have to agree to terms before you're allowed the information. And so in that original model, it was um, like, I had to choose the same group and the same activity for us to be able to see what each other were doing, which the issue of that is you can't see positive reinforcing signals sometimes. And then another thought, like something we didn't think about even was that sometimes people are just going through because they don't quite understand the process very well, um, which is on us, it should be easy. Users shouldn't have to think or understand things to use it. Um, uh, Was that, you go through this like funnel of choosing what group and activity you want to do. Then you like end up with someone you don't really understand. Like you're both there at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just kind of like, you don't know what to do with that. And so it's like balancing those things of, you know, how do you get a positive signal and also like understand why you're both there at the same time. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I know you've got a lot of influences, a lot of people you look up to in the startup world and entrepreneurship, especially with iPhone apps and things like that. Could you get into who you've drawn inspiration from and how you've learned from them and some of the lessons you're trying to implement from 
their success stories into uh, what you're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, that's for sure. Um, one of the things I've kind of been recently thinking about is, you know, success stories. And it's honestly just comes down to the people. This isn't a particular person, but it's, you just kind of keep iterating. And uh, that's a classic thing people talk about. But um, I just think of like what Y Combinator says all the time of like, just iterate on what you're doing because you're going to think too much of this is my idea. And so I always thought about Steve Jobs a lot. He had like a great vision for what he was doing. I think the vision is important, but at the same time, you have to make something that, that actually works. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of where we're at at this point. Uh, but I've always you really enjoyed love Facebook like, too. You really draw oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of inspiration from Facebook and Zuckerberg, and you know we've had extensive conversations about um, like group yeah. theory and and all that comes in there. Yeah, that's really. I mean, you're right. I just I haven't really thought about a lot too much of other people recently, so it's just mm-hmm. not fresh in my mind. Sure. But I know, uh, like for example, like with Zuckerberg, it's always just really interesting how much he started focusing on. Uh, more the psychology, sociology than you think he would have being a programmer. Um, sure. Yeah, I don't think I, a lot of people, yeah. I was gonna say, even like the social network movie, they really underplay that part of things uh, yeah. from Zuckerberg. Whereas you're kind of bringing up how, no, he was actually a lot more thoughtful of the implications of this in terms of social dynamics between people. Uh, I know you've done a lot of reading about the academic kind of theories of these things. Can you? get into a little bit of some of those theories that have been really impactful for uh, some of the, like maybe your reading list or what particular books or articles you've drawn inspiration from to set up and model the group behavior you want to see. Yeah. So some of the most influential books and and, and one of the most interesting books that comes straight to mind is uh, how behavior spreads. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to remember the name of the author. I'll have it with me. Uh, David Amendola, I believe is his name. I could be completely wrong. Uh, but that's, yeah, you definitely got uh, the title, so that's what that's what matters. Yeah, how behavior spreads. Anyway, it's it's really interesting. Um, uh, and this time, you know, with the, with the coronavirus, it's it's kind of the funny thing because you never think about epidemiology much, but that's how people used to think behavior spread was throughout in the same way. Was in the same way a virus spreads, right? Like just contact. But in fact, it's modeled much differently, in, and they call it the science of complex behavior in which um, it takes reinforcing signals to get a behavior going. And so let's say the three of us are a group and we're always doing something. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, you and Kyle start doing something, Lewis, all the time. I'm much more likely to adopt that okay. than if it was just like you by yourself doing it. And that's kind of how it is. It's like some certain types of behaviors take more signals from other people before you adopt it. You know, kind of the idea of like Facebook or Twitter. It's like, the more people that get on the service, the more likely like other people are going to use it depending on how many. It's a network effect. Network effect. Yeah. And so, but more in the sense of not just the effect of how you you enumerate it, but also like, um, because if you look at the spread of Twitter or Facebook, they both went by like local areas, area by area. It didn't just start like. They all just placed mine at once. Exactly. It was in Or it didn't go from, exactly. It didn't just spread out to a bunch of random people. And then spread all the random people from there. It was in pockets, the pocket, the pocket. Okay. Um, and that's why Facebook went college by college um, at the start of the, you know, social network because they want to have enough density of people using it at the same time. Okay. Um, and so complex behavior goes into that in depth, at like a very academic level. 
um, the author is a professor at UPenn and like the sociology department, but he has his degrees in sociology and physics. And so it kind of brings that analytical mind to sociology, okay. which is really interesting. Um, and another book I like is a pretty well-known one, uh, uh, Habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power, no, it's The Power of Habit. Um, By Charles it's a really Stephen. good book. Yeah, that one. That's a good one. Uh, but it kind of talks on individual habits and then like organizational habits and societal habits. And then kind of understand the interplay of all those is important. Okay. Uh, and then uh, kind of the last thing is, uh, or not the last thing, but there's, there's sure. a bunch of other things to yeah. talk about. Uh, network effects is always interesting and in how you mathematically represent that. At one point I got too under the weeds on that. And, like, <laughs> chasing really rabbits. Kind of chasing rabbits. Yeah. I'm trying to understand like, how, model, how to model that and the importance of that. Uh, because I, I kind of realized there's a difference between quanti- quantitative and qualitative. Um, by the time something's like quantitative, it, it's kind of sometimes lost its meaning in a lot of ways. Um, one of the best examples I know of that is the sword of the Ford Edessa. I don't know if that's correct, or Essel, it's the Ford Essel. Um, it was a car back in the 50s and Ford was like, we're gonna make the perfect consumer car. And so what they did was that they went around and surveyed everyone in the country, different groups of people. What's the type of cool car you imagine? How does it look for this type of, you know, class or whatever? And by the time they compiled all this information and said, this is what the perfect car consumers are going to want looks like. uh, It was a complete flop because, you know, a year or two later when they like compiled all that and understood it completely to make the car, the preferences and things had already changed. Okay. Consumers. So they spent so, too much time researching and trying to build mm-hmm. the perfect product. Uh, and in that process, things were changing faster than they could keep up with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also plays that's into fun. a lot of the iteration techniques, you know, you're talking about earlier. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. That so you bring up, fun. yeah, you bring up a couple of really interesting uh, resources. Could you talk about how you've worked in some of those ideas into your product? Not just think just for, you know, stoking thought, but in, terms of actually shaping your decision-making about user experience and uh, the way the product works. Of course. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like network effects and as well as, um, you know, complex behavior, we looked, we focused on groups as our core functionality because we realized, um, you know, that's the best way to reciprocate behavior is groups. But then we also kind of realized that to get a complex behavior going, um, you need something to attract people there so there's enough people but we realized uh groups is a really good way to go to get those two things going um, because if you look at a network effect you can a lot more value out of a number of people that are connected mm-hmm. um if you make more groups out of them rather than just you know a media stream like an instagram feed or a television of how many people are watching it um that's just a linear relationship um with like the number of you know people looking at it um, and then you have the two-way connections, like a you know marketplace of how many transactions you can make, and then there's the idea of how many groups you can make or make useful, and that's the most important thing. Is you okay. can make a lot of groups, but how many groups can you make useful and interactive and engaging? Okay. Because we're in different social groups every day, and so the the whole the whole focus the whole focus was to make more groups that were useful to people throughout the day. Okay. Like um, the, the subset of all facility. total groups that are potentially useful and how do you how do you make that determination of what makes a group potentially viable from you know the sub the 
the total set of all possible combinations of the people that you're working with. And then it just comes down to how much people use that potential group, right? It's like okay. self-determined in like locality is that you choose um, what group you want to hang out with and then you choose the activity and whatever subgroup develops from that is a useful group is the idea. And so Ooh. it's user determined on like what group is useful because you can make any number of combination of people or things to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just an extraordinary amount of like things that you could potentially do with the number of people you can do them with all a different result, but it's like, how do you facilitate that to happen large amounts of time and repeatedly? It's um, like your end, goal, ways. your end goal would be to like have groups that are created by locality. That way, like, you know, that the users want to use the app and have used it and have had a good experience. Like if, if a bunch of random people meet up to climb a mountain together through locality, they're a lot more likely to continue to use locality in other parts of their life, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's definitely like one thing we need to work towards is like getting that positive user experience, mm -hmm. then also like a call to action for that second experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just how do we route things in that direction to get that, you know, going. Yeah, like you're saying with uh, the power of habit, if you can find a way to make locality the action. So if people, you know, the the basic structure from that book is Q routine reward, right? As the basic structure mm -hmm. of a habit. So if their cue is some desire to have social interaction, you have to find a way to integrate locality as that action that they take when they feel that desire to socialize. And if that, that's one what thing. they turn, exactly. If that's what yeah. they turn to, then you'll get them to continue turning to it and it'll start compounding on itself. Which is good, but that's the, the biggest issue right now. We have, you know, quote, quote, competitors of, you know, other social media platforms, right? that are focused around giving the immediate social hit, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, Instagram, I can see what's going on around the world much easier than I can actually going to play a game of basketball. And I can look at what's going on in the NBA. And so maybe a social desire is already being filled. Um, another thing is just the activation energy of like getting to a place and coordinating things is a lot more difficult. Uh, but, you know, on top of that, Another thing we've realized is, and this is another thing I've researched and learned about a lot. It's really fascinating. It's called Dunbar's number. Um, yeah, I first heard about Dunbar. It. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Explain it. Explain it though. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I first heard about it when I was listening to Reed Hoffman talk, and then I like finally like, Googled it, read about it on Wikipedia. Then I looked up some of his research papers. Um, essentially, what it is, it's it's a number that is about 150. You know, in that range of people, 140 to like you know 180 200 but typically 150 is the number dunbar's number and it's saying like that's the number of people that we can consider like we have a real close personal relationship with in a sense and so it breaks down in different units it's like the five closest five people you're close to like your five closest friends and then including those five people you have 15 like good friends and then including those 15 good friends and then the including the five good friends the best friends you have 35 friends and then from the 35 friends you have like up to another 100 acquaintances right mm -hmm. and that's about as many people as we can kind of keep track of in a sense we can know more people right mm -hmm. but it's how many can we like keep track of as like our social you know experience as a human um another thing that i found interesting recently uh, i was reading an article i believe it's from the atlantic um that talked about a psychologist that was offered a job of like you know, I'd say a lot more money than your typical psychologist professor would make. 
a six-figure salary, but he would have to move to like Moscow for like eight months out of the year away from his family. And he chose to stay with his family. Um, and essentially like one thing our brain does is kind of from his research and things he's learned since then is that any free second our brain has, it goes to a system of thinking about our social relationships. Really? It's kind of what our higher, yeah, that's really what it is. It's our higher functionality isn't necessarily like solving problems per se. It's more about how we perceive socially situations to figure out what's going on. Because the way we've kind of evolved is like, you know, is bet on like cooperation. And so our brain is always trying to understand the best way to navigate a social situation um, from our perspective. And so, like, how do we best adapt to that? Yeah. So what do you think some of the implications are of the massive usage of uh, social media, whether it's Snapchat or Instagram, people using that in huge amounts on a daily basis with that in mind, right? If your baseline uh, default thinking is, okay, I'm not doing any problems right now. So I'm just going to catalog and take an assessment of my social life right now in my situations. How do you think social media affects that compared to, you know, more prehistoric or not prehistoric, but pre-modern, more simplified social dynamics? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I feel like we're always overloaded in a sense. Um, and, and it's kind of going back to the idea of locality as well, where I was trying to get to bringing up Dunbar's number and I'll tie this all in. Yeah, um, do it. Let's see it. But Dunbar's number, essentially, that's kind of what issues we run into with localities sometimes is that your five closest friends that you typically get most of your social value from. And then over that, you're 15. Those are the ones that you can normally just text and say, hey, let's go do something. And you'll, you'll, you'll both figure it out. And so locality, it's more about those further, you know, reaching connections, or at least it was designed originally in that, that intent. And so it's difficult to kind of include those in. You don't have as much driving force in a sense to go do those things. And so we just have to reduce that friction a lot. And so when you can already meet your social requirements by like, you know, three or four people. Um, but on top of that, you know, social media has been easy and slash hard because you have unlimited access to like a larger range of people that kind of give you that like tail end, but it's very surface level. And also mm-hmm. it makes you think about and consider things that you might not need to think are important. So like, you know, do we really need to know what all the influencers in the world are doing? Um, no, we don't. I mean, to some very, 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 very surface extent, like it, it might be helpful in some ways of, you know, a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it. It's a shared commonality between people. Uh, but at the same time, there's just so much that we value socially that we sometimes just more distracting because of social media. And I think, um, I think that's why sometimes I know me personally, I, I've kind of seen it. It causes me to like, struggle you know with school focus and also like work focus because i'm trying to find a sense of meaning and purpose or social drive and sometimes i'm getting conflicting signals of what i should be valuing yeah that's what i think like i was gonna say that's that's what everyone's suffering for yeah that's what really draws me uh to like your idea so much is you your end goal uh not or one of your end goals is for more quality real in-person social interactions not like in your mind, just liking each other's posts on Instagram and having going back and forth in the comment section, that doesn't, that's not socializing. Or if it is, it's such a low value that it shouldn't even be really considered socializing. It might satisfy a short term need, but in your, like in your heart or whatever you want to say in your soul, you don't feel that deeper fulfillment that comes from actually being in a real group of people and being able to read people's facial expressions and communicate in those uh, more pre-verbal ways that really are what contribute to meaningful social experiences and 
you're trying to find a way to facilitate a group of people, uh, meet with new people or your existing friends, finding a way to, in the margins of your schedule or just in casual informal senses, have those higher quality interactions that actually lead to more long-term happiness and more deeper relationships on a more frequent and higher quality basis. So I think that's really a noble, noble effort. And that's why I'm really behind it so much. Yeah, it's definitely the, the goal is to make it much more real because I think one of the things I've kind of learned, which just thinking about these things and also reading is that honestly, social media seems more of an ego-based network. And that's why I think it's powerful when it's easy to get people on is because it's about your ego in a sense of how your mm-hmm. ego fits into you know, your social situation, which is one thing we all really care about. It's like how we define our ego socially, um, who we are as a person. Our what, what, what do you want to project yourself to look like to other people? It, yeah, exactly. And it's all about us in a sense. But locality, that's why I think it's been more difficult in times because it's not about your ego, right? It's not about mm-hmm. pumping yourself up. It's about actually doing something which could be different than how you perceive your ego. Um, and so that's one thing I've, I've kind of found difficult is it needs to be more about doesn't need to be, but that's why I think social media is so, you know, about your ego. Cause the, the one of those interesting right now is the, uh, the until tomorrow thing, because I ended up doing that just because, what is it? Um, uh, on social media right now, it's going pretty viral. Basically like someone will post a po- picture, like an embarrassing photo and it says until tomorrow. And then if you like it, the person will DM you and say, Hey, you like my photo. You now have to post an embarrassing picture of yourself until tomorrow. And, uh, so many people are posting it and I kind of started thinking about it. It's like, honestly, I enjoyed putting, you know, embarrassing photos on myself because I'm defining how I am embarrassing, you know, and defining mm-hmm. that. Limit. Yeah. Yeah. This you're getting to set your, you're getting to set your own boundaries on what an embarrassing photo of yourself looks like. It's kind of like the social media equivalent yeah. of a humble brag. You know what I mean? It's where <laughs> exactly you're able to like, it's like this, uh, it's a picture yeah. where you still look good, but like you're in pajamas, but you still look good. So like, that's embarrassing, you know, in air quotes, but you're still trying to say but, my embarrassing is still, is still super cool. Exactly. Cause I mean like my embarrassing pictures was one of me, you know, on top of a mountain. Uh, the other was <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, I do. I'm so was, embarrassed that I do interesting things. I mean, it was like, you couldn't really tell it's on top of a mountain. It was like a really awkward face. Uh, and then another one I posted, cause I, I did like four in one post. Um, it was me in a dress. Right, cause I lost the bet once freshman year. Exactly. So you're trying to communicate yeah. ways in which you're cool and interesting with under the guise of embarrassing yourself <laughs> exactly so many people are posting photos that aren't like overly embarrassing but it's like it makes you look more interesting and i think that's where i see the ego kind of come in in some places right you need to include in locality some feature yeah. where you can see how many things that you've done with other people it's like yeah. so you can flex cool. you need some like <laughs> yeah you got to take advantage of that uh whether or not it's a toxic drive or not you can maybe find a way to link it into your app to get that same virality or virility of of growth and usage because if you find some way to flex on your friends like oh i'm so good at locality i've met 35 new people and done all these cool things and i don't know just some ideas yeah i think that would be we, we've kind of thrown ourselves around but we always kind of back off of it because we got too much into the idea of like you know being more about the you know the meeting itself but i really think it's you have to put people in an environment in which they feel comfortable and right now you kind of come on locality and if you don't have a group or you only have one group you know, you kind of come into an empty environment. So it's like, how do we make that environment more welcoming and like captivating? Because yeah. I remember the first time I ever downloaded Instagram, which I will say is my favorite social like media. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember when I first got it sophomore year of high school, I spent hours just on the Explorer, just like trying to like look at different types of people and just like being so captivated by that. Um, and so I think there's, there's none of that when you get to locality. It just feels very blank. Okay. Um, That's why you try to onboard groups at a time, right? Because Exactly, that- yeah. If you bring on, like, for example, you're trying to get my fraternity or at one point you're in discussions with, if you mm-hmm. take on a whole fraternity at once, uh, it's a really good target sample group because there's a couple guys that are really close in small little cliques within the fraternity, but everyone in the fraternity is at least vaguely f- acquainted with every other member in the fraternity and they have the potential to get along, but just because of the limitations of in-person social interaction and existing methods, you're unlikely to have those spontaneous interactions with a smaller subset and have those clicks yeah. break out. So that's why I think, you know, that was a really smart strategy you had to try to bring in groups like that at a time. Or yeah, like a it's sport. almost like, it's like the same thing as with having a pre-existing event that you're tying it to. You're, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like having a pre-existing group and a pre-existing, and a pre-existing context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In order and to, that's where we realize. Yeah. Continue. I was going to say just in order to have that, um, you know, natural progression where you you go from one event to a bunch of smaller events, which happens with pretty much everything you do, like chapter, for example, or startup trends, you know, it Uh, leads directly into these smaller activities. And I think that's like exactly what you're saying, Kyle, is like that's the reason in the direction we need to start going more is you have a bigger event and you break it and like we're the kind of key that gets you into those smaller events and make sure you have a smaller event. Because one of the issues we originally realized, like what, Lewis saying, you know, the idea of onboarding an entire fraternity, if we get an entire group on there, but it's at a moment when they don't have something already going, and they don't have a reason to click all the buttons for that group at that time, like not everyone's going to want to do the same thing at the same time in that same group, right? And so, you know, think about it, it's like social media, it's not time dependent, right? Asynchronous. I could post something. Yeah, it's, it has to be synchronized, right? Like I can post something like right now. And you could look at it like three hours from now exactly. and you still get that value. Right. But like, if I wanted to go do something in locality right now, like can go for a walk. Like if you check two hours from now, that's not going to help you out. And so that's kind of been our, one of our biggest issues is just having enough people on at the same time to get that value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we've kind of realized like going from one bigger event, like a chapter meeting or like what we thought about even like a church service and then helping people, you know, click buttons and, go through like what what are we looking to do here are the small groups we're with right now going to do our next thing like that's what we need to kind of focus on is that transitional point and then hopefully once people kind of get the experience out of that they can use it in other ways as mm-hmm. well but exactly. um, that's that's what we've kind of noticed is yeah. that it needs enough people at one time if you just give it to a group without like an event already happening you know they have no reason to reuse it yeah and extending from that bar incident where we kind of you know, stumbled into having lunch later or dinner later that group doesn't have a frequent meeting time you know they meet it's like, like once a month right a month. yeah and so i don't even know if like, they met again after that since i'd seen them because it was like happened in like february okay. and now this whole thing happened but it's like you know you need a reoccurring thing to remind you hey we do this at this event and you're not really going to remember have a reason to use it between then Mm-hmm. And so if we can find a semi-regular, regular event that happens where you can use locality to spawn into little events, that'd be really good. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, one there's thing certainly, we, there's certainly up? a critical mass of users that you need and a critical mass of like 
people that are willing to um, initiate uh, social interactions in order for it to in order for it to work. And I think that what you're talking about is these these um, pre-existing groups, you know, gives that mm-hmm. a, a like a context to flourish within, like yeah. a, a group of people and a group of change makers, like people that are willing to put themselves out there on the app. Yeah. You know? yep. I think that's the thing. It's not just the, you know, pre-existing group. It's also a pre-existing activity, mm-hmm. pre-existing event that's already going on. Right. And so you have the two keys of I have my group, my people, then I also have like the thing we're doing and then locality can easily shift the thing you're doing and the exact group you're with into a more like, you know, a different one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, one to shift gears a little bit. One thing we haven't gotten into, which I think is really interesting about your business. A lot of uh, young entrepreneurs kind of skip this step, which is something you haven't, something you didn't skip, which is what I think is really cool. And you might have some insight on is the patent process. Uh, I know you've gotten into trying to protect your idea. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience with kind of trying to take ownership of what unique insight you think you brought into with this app? Yeah. So I, when I had the idea originally, I was like, well, this could potentially be a patent because, you know, I've always thought like, if it is something that could work really well, how do we protect that? And so I kind of went into that. Um, I just kind of like Googled around, honestly, and found a firm in Atlanta. Uh, it's a pretty good firm. Uh, Founders legal. Um, it's this very sporadic process, really. I just talked with my attorney and he, first of all, he just wanted to make sure I actually like had something that was real not just like some random idea. Mm-hmm. And then I've have I've applied for a process patent. And the idea is, it's very, it's very cut and dry, right? Like you can, you, if you get the same result in a different way, well, then I can't do anything about it. Um, and we don't even quite use that exact process anymore. We might start going back towards that and implement parts of it, but I'm very general, but also very specific at the same time. Okay. Um, it's like, there are specific steps, but the things that they include are very broad. So it's like, you know, you have like a friend group and then like you go straight to like an activity and they filter or they like, you know, categorize each other. And so, and I, and I think it wasn't a bad idea to start with that, but um, it was a lot of like overhead um, mm-hmm. and getting it published, I guess, makes it legit. Uh, it at least is possibly patentable, but I don't know how much it is going to protect us in the end. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. But it is at least something that like, if you're not a, like, you know, it's something that's there. Right. And people have to be wary of potentially. Um, I I don't not I do not believe I've been granted the patent yet. Um, but if you Google patents my name, it will pop up. That's the, the application. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm sure you learned a lot through that process, though. Yeah, it was really fascinating. First of all, I realized like, um, yeah, you can write your own patent, but it's like, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I did do myself is I had a work with an attorney to write all that. Um, it was a relatively good rate I got, but um, the main thing is I did all the background research to make sure that there are no other patents that existed that like mine interfered with or overlapped. Um, and I literally just went on like USPTO.com and like Google search like key terms, read those patents, try to get an understanding of them, and then like clicked to related patents that they refer to. And just kept repeatedly doing that until I kind of got a sense of like the space. Okay. And that was pretty interesting. Um, but I will tell you, it's really difficult sometimes to read like legal jargon for like complex processes and like what they're trying to describe. <laughs> I bet. I bet that's not super yeah. entertaining. No, but 
I think I like a good enough scope to realize there wasn't anything exactly that we could like say that we infringe on. Um, and if so, we have to defend the patent. Um, but so far, I haven't heard anything about that. Okay. Um, so a piece of locality is um, connecting people over similar interests, like different mm -hmm. hobbies that one may have. What are some of your favorite favorite things that you do, like hobby-wise? Hobby-wise? Yeah. Um, I love hiking. I haven't been swimming as much. Um, I just, it's more making the habit out of that. But locality be perfect for me in swimming. Uh, I go swimming with uh, Ember Ryan and uh, Zach from uh, Camgy End of the Edge. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'll go swimming with them some mornings. They'll just text me and be like, hey, we're going to swim like Wednesday mornings. Mm -hmm. And if I'm like able to, if I'm getting myself up in time, like I'll go swim with them. Um, it's been pretty fun just kind of like see them, hang out with them a little bit, catch up, and then just—I mean, I don't really like swim to exercise; I just kind of goof around a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it is nice. I, I do miss a little bit. So swimming—that's a good one. And like that's what I'm saying. Like if I could have like a reliable like locality group of, and that's one thing I've also learned with locality is that it kind of hits on that spontaneous. But you know, someone like you, Lewis, who is, you know, very you know, rigid and like very disciplined, which I've learned is like really important. Um, the more I've just kind of like continued in life is that sometimes you have such a you know fixed thing that it's hard to just kind of switch things up mm -hmm. or if you're going to do something you're going to do it uh but you know so swimming for me is a hobby and then um hiking a lot enjoy hiking a lot um i love going to the river walk hammocking it's a lot mm -hmm. of fun there uh, there's actually a rope swing on the river walk that i don't advertise i'm not gonna you know but that's don't a lot of fun it's at. <laughs> Well, I'm not gonna tell you where it's and at. And a trade secret. I mean, I'll tell you, like, if, if you want to go with me one day. But uh, <laughs> I seriously, like, because I'm planning to go back to Tuscaloosa, uh, with, hopefully within the next week or two. And yeah, I think Ethan's still there. And our okay. plan is just to like do school stuff together, and then like, because like we'll be like the only two people in town, and then go swimming like almost every day in the river. Yeah, not gonna be so. much competition after. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's on the discipline uh, aspect of what yeah. you said. I, I will tell a short story about your team at Locality. So our, our first, um, yeah. our first day at the Crimson Entrepreneurship Academy, <laughs> we all did it together. Um, each group had, well, each person had to say one word that described them. Um, I think I said like moving or something because I was busy. But um, Locality <laughs> as a group, the three of them said. The first person said discipline, the second person said equals, and the third person said freedom. So I, I think that uh, <laughs> you're talking about discipline on, on this podcast is very in character. Yeah, it's so this is an allusion to another podcast. Um, Ethan's one of Ethan's big role models is Jocko Willink, mm -hmm. um, who does his own podcast. He's a really interesting guy. He was a I believe, former Navy SEAL uh, who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but he his his motto is discipline equals freedom, and that's where Ethan got it. Yeah. Um, Ethan actually has a tattoo on his uh, on his bicep. On, yeah, on his bicep. Yeah. Now we're planning and on having so, Ethan on in a couple of days. He'll probably do a deep dive on that and give us the whole. Oh, he will go. He will go way into that. We're gonna, we're gonna open, we're gonna chase rabbits <laughs> when we bring up Jocko, but that's okay. We like chasing Dude, rabbits. He is a renaissance man. Yeah. 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 No, he, Ethan straight up is. Yeah, he does everything. <laughs> He's awesome. Uh, so those are some interesting habits. What do you think are some uh i guess we'll kind of get into some of the bonus round questions now oh wait i also love card games you also love card games what board card games, games card games or what board games uh uh trying to think 
So there's a game called Secret Hitler. You played that? Yeah, I played Secret Hitler. It's so fun, dude. I it's enjoy that. Um, I enjoy uh, Exploding Kittens. That's always all uh, fun. Dude, a locality uh, for board games would be, or, or like group games would be pretty interesting. That'd be good. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, we have like, yeah, we can make a group for group games. We have the activity per se, but we don't have yeah, a, group. a dedicated group for it. We can make a giant, that, that could potentially work well. Start building that out. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting right now. It's like, you know, we're all away from campus and like localities are helping people meet in person, but it's completely <laughs> mute at this point with all social isolation. Yeah. The, <laughs> it's, it's so locality funny, is really. probably illegal right now. It's, it should probably be. A, probably It'll be a good illegal. time to launch though once this is all over. Exactly. Maybe better yeah, be itching fair. to do stuff together. That's a great point because I just thought it was really funny the other day. I was like talking to Lily and I was like, hmm, I can't really do anything at all. Like, it's like normally it's a great thing to do things in person, but right now it's like, well, nope. Yeah, and then you, you have to put in a setting on locality that maximizes the group size of two people. So once two people agree to do something <laughs> together, you just stop anyone else from joining, lock them out. <laughs> at that point, yeah, fair. At that point, it just becomes a dating app, though. It does, yeah. Unless you know they're just really wanting to go like have a jogging buddy or something. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so one of the uh, questions we like to ask are, what are some just things that anytime you think about it fascinates you? Um, really like one thing that just always gets me is like how much are we actually like learning or perceiving in a given moment it's like you know like sometimes I realize like how I look at things is sometimes subjective and like totally wrong sometimes I, I've just kind of learned recently it's like you have to the whole idea of like knowing yourself right um and, that, and that's kind of getting the whole idea of like how much can we better ourselves and I've kind of realized like one of the best ways to do that is like learning and like learning to learn, I think is the thing that fascinates me the most is like learning to learn, like changes us, but also is like kind of what life's about in a way. Learning how to learn or learning for the sake of learning or both. Both in a sense of like learning how to learn, but you can always learn how to learn better, Mm -hmm. you know, and adapting that skill because you know I kind of realized in reflective in a reflective sense of like always kind of looking back on myself is um and that's one thing I guess that captivates me is like just trying to understand myself but um looking back in high school I just haphazardly learned things you know I was, I was relatively smart um and I was able to just kind of like go through school by just kind of like happening to do well like listening a little bit paying attention I never had to make an intentional point of how am I going to learn this material mm-hmm um, getting to college, it was like, I have to figure out how to understand these things. I have to find a system. I have to trick myself. I have to learn the skills that I need to learn. And how do I best, you know, remember things, learn things, understand yeah. concepts. And I think that's what some people don't realize is that it's sometimes about how effectively you do something. Um, Cause you know, I think like it's one of the things that was interesting with you, you told me this summer was at the whole like 25 hour, you know, not 25 hour, 25 minute, like, you know, study session thing, mm-hmm. you know, 25 Pomodoro minutes on, 25 technique. minutes off, Pomodoro technique. Yeah. And I watched a video on YouTube the other day and it was like a guy talking about not the technique itself, but like how in studies shows that your attention and focus just drop substantially. If you don't give yourself a break after the amount of, that amount of time. Mm. And that if you just stare at paper, you're not actually learning. It's not because you're stupid. It's just, you can't focus. And then if you do that long enough, you know, let's say I study for like six hours, 
but I don't give myself a break. Like my energy levels gonna be so low. And by the next time I try to study, I'm just going to remember that how miserable it was staring at a piece of paper. Right. Yeah. And so that's one thing. It's like, how do we kind of manage ourselves, figure out how to do the things we need to do. And that, that's always just like, is the answer is always different. The answer is like, but it's always the same. And like, there is a certain way to do things, but like, it's the result of like the different activities you have to do to do those things are different. But like the rule they follow is always kind of the same. Sure. Yeah. So I think so. it's a good time for you to plug ultra learning. <laughs> That's true. Ultra learning. Uh, it's a book I read recently and I'm writing a summary of it about nine mm-hmm. principles to accelerate your learning techniques and make yourself better at learning. Uh, the book's all about learning how to learn about, uh, how to be more effective at learning hard things quickly, which is very valuable. And I think that's something we didn't really talk about this very much. Uh, I mean, you're studying metallurgical engineering, but kind of sounds like you're really wanting to go the whole entrepreneurship and startup route. And what you're yeah. bringing to our attention uh, in your last answer is one of the kind of unstated benefits of studying engineering, even if that's not something you want to do, right? Uh, from the process of attempting something very difficult in school, you're having very valuable realizations about, okay, how do I learn better? How do I become more intentional about uh, studying in a way that's effective in terms of time, effective in terms of it's pleasant and not miserable? And do I actually have to be able to be confident and successful at reproducing this material on an exam or something like that? Because that's a real, it sounds like even though you're not planning on becoming a metallurgical engineer immediately or that's not your end game, it's taught you how to learn effectively, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, it's definitely, and that's one thing, this is actually a really interesting kind of like anecdotal story I have as well. Go for it. Um, and this isn't like down anything at all. It's just kind of like one day I was helping uh, uh, my like pastor's kid with his like math homework. He's like in seventh grade. And it's literally just kind of like different linear equations and like solving for X. And I was just kind of helping him go through and like understand how to like manipulate things in order to like solve for X. You know, the next day I'm studying with a group of friends in the library uh, for a theory of probability test. Uh, and another girl was hanging out with us as well. She was studying um, operation management, I think, OM. And essentially it was just kind of like, I was looking at like the problem she was like kind of confused about. And it was like, how do you find the break even point of like certain pieces of equipment compared to each other? Of like, you know, each of these machines have different fixed costs and they have like different variable costs. Mm-hmm. And so, like, one machine might cost more, but, like, it produces, like, 10, it produces, like, units at, like, a rate of, like, $10 per unit instead of, like, $15 per unit. And I was, like, how do you find a break-even point? And, like, the professor gave them, like, this equation that you just plug everything in, and, like, that gives you your answer between the two things. And I just kind of looked at it for a second. And I realized it was just, you know, setting them up as linear equations and solving for X. Okay. But they don't explain it that way. They explained it as, like, here's this equation. Use it for this mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of interesting to me how I helped a seventh grader with one thing presented in one form. And then I helped a you know college student, you know, with a similar type of problem, but actually applied. Yeah. I think and that's like, uh, if you can, yeah. I was gonna say that brings up like two really interesting points. The first is that's a really good example of transfer, right? Uh, you very, that's yeah. kind of a good barometer for learning is if you're able to be given information in one context and realize it's the application in another on, through your own doing, that's the real test of learning and uh, or the opposite point, right? If you learn something in one context, one context and you're not able to apply it anywhere else, how does that even count as learning? Right? Yeah. 
No, I agree uh, with that. I think and, that's one thing that people really discount a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The, the second point there is how uh, you're just trying to make complicated things seem simple. And that's a really valuable skill as well. Uh, you're trying to take all these complicated academic theories about socializing and group dynamics and just breaking it down into clicking buttons and people ending up hanging out or someone presents uh, needlessly complicated equations to discuss supply chain and operations management. Uh, when really, if they just taught it in terms of seventh grade math, everyone would understand what's going on immediately. Uh, exactly. So that's that's a, real, a really interesting her, story. Yeah. The second I told her, look, it's just like you were doing like, you know, math. It's you just make it and solve for X. And she like understood immediately. And it was just kind of like, if you kind of extrapolate out like the basics sometimes, it just, it's confusing to people. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I think that's a problem with, so. with business education too, is that it's less about teaching you how to think and more about teaching you how to uh, follow a process. Yeah. Which is sometimes like, I've, I've kind of learned there is a, there is a, like a good thing sometimes of following a process, but then there's also, you need to understand that process. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to do both in a way, you know, you have mm-hmm. to. So I think that's one thing I've struggled with is like, I always try to understand everything instead of just like doing it. Yeah. That's super mm-hmm. valuable. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it is valuable. Sometimes it, it sets you behind if you spend too much time trying to understand something instead of just getting it done. And then there, there is a balance. Um, mm-hmm. And this is, I'm taking this from another you know podcast I heard between actually it was Jocko and Jordan Peterson, but it is like one of the most like eye opening kind of like things to me is like, just play the game. Right. It's like, sometimes like you're in a situation and like, you can see there's better things to do in that situation or there's a, a higher purpose or goal. But sometimes you have to play the game and just kind of like go at it. And yeah. then like once you get to a certain point, you have enough resources or like whatever you have or need to then start making those changes. And so, you know, it's like sometimes you just have to, you know, play the game. Cause sometimes I spend so much time studying and trying to understand a concept rather than just like, you know, working a bunch of problems, you know, and because there there's understanding and problems, but I know like a lot of times in engineering, you can just like look at the formula several times mm-hmm. and then just figure out the exact way to set the formula up and then, you know, run through it instead of understanding why am I setting up this way? Like what has happened when I manipulated it this way? And like, what does that mean? And yeah. there's so many times I think I was able I'll, to do. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that because I, I yeah. sometimes my tendency is to play the game a little too much and like only play the yeah. game uh, because in certain yeah. academic contexts, you can totally do fine and get A's and get hundreds on tests, just playing the game. If you play the game well enough, like, you know, WebAssign, uh, just the math, yeah. and the classic examples, you try another version it just changes the colors in red of the numbers in the equation. You do try another version enough times and you realize that the answer just is going to be three times the first red number times the next red number. Then you don't learn any of the process. Uh, so it's definitely, so playing the game is good for certain contexts, but I think net better off, you're, you're better off for actually taking the time to understand things, even if it's more time consuming and not always the most efficient in the moment. Like you said, you're, through doing that, you're expanding your capacity as a learner to be able to learn harder things in the future and come to solutions on your own. So I, I, I don't know if I. I well, I think that he, I think that what what he's talking about specifically in that podcast from Jocko. And I haven't and listened to it. Is not well. Yeah. I am either, but I'm extrapolating. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not about academic settings. It's about um, like life. You know, bureaucracy. If you, if you, yeah. If you have to wake up at 6 a.m. and drive across town, don't lose five hours of sleep thinking about how you have to get up six a- at 6 a.m. And, and struggling with that. Just play the game. Like, get up, do, you know, discipline equals freedom. Just, like, 
mm-hmm. um, yeah. we were talking about earlier. What, what town takes five hours to that, drive across? Yeah. <laughs> You're right about LA that. probably. Bad, bad, uh, <laughs> nah, I'm just messing with you. I know you are. Uh, oh, sorry, my AirPod died. Uh, that's fine. You're good. Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, you're yeah, still fine. Can. You're good. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, like one thing is that playing the game as well, Lewis, it's like, think about it this way. If I spend so much time on my homework, you know, because I have like, you know, four or five different classes I have to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. If it's faster for me just to like get my homework done, then that's good. But I also do need to learn the things. But if I spend all my time trying to understand everything to a super deep level, I won't get all my work done. Yeah, you have to play the extent. In exactly. Yeah, you have to play. You have to balance everything. So mm-hmm. it's not just playing the game, or it's not just understanding. It's like you have to manage both. And if you do mm-hmm. them in balance, you know, it'll elevate. I think both skills. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems um, like you and I represent you're not the two extremes down of by that. the lack of one thing that you've done or not. Yeah, I was gonna say. It seems like you and I represent the two extremes of that. I my tendency is just to play the game and not yeah. learn not learn the material in a deeper, meaningful sense until the last minute when yours is try to learn it right away because you're just intellectually curious about doing so yeah. and then struggling to just finish everything because you took three days to learn it. Uh, yeah. But you're not a perfect. And that, and that's what's frustrating because sometimes and Kyle's like the I'm perfect like... balance. Kyle's the perfect. <laughs> Kyle's, <middle> child. <laughs> Kyle's got the perfect allocation of time spent uh, tinkering and figuring things out and time spent <laughs> just uh, looking for the answers on a Quizlet or whatever. Perfect. Done. <laughs> Thanks, Lewis. I appreciate that. Yeah, but that's because yeah. you're an accounting major. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyle, this is a fun question uh, for Brian. If you could ask for any advice from any historical, or if you could ask advice from any historical figure, who would it be, and what would you ask them? Oh goodness, living, living or dead? Okay, well, living or dead. Well, actually, oh, let's just say dead. All right, yeah, we'll just leave it to dead. dead. Uh, past 100 years let's say yeah there's like one person that jumps to mind immediately but let's i don't go with know if that's like who i want to answer but we're gonna yeah, go with them for today okay yeah dude that was a very good answer for me and lewis <laughs> we do like ben oh, franklin really? here oh yeah big ben, big ben franklin fans tell, tell me why kyle go well, for it we both we both have read um most of his um autobiography and yeah i was obsessed with him before just because of like the man literally like invented america like, that's he, what i was gonna say he he yeah. saved like the american revolution pretty much you can you can accredit i don't even know what the percentage of it is to him but he, i mean yeah. the reason we won is because we had french support and he's the reason that we got French support. Yeah, that's true. And and um, I don't know, just reading that biography and the way that he thinks and like how far ahead of his time he really was, it's just, it's just mind blowing. Um, he's always been fascinating to me. Um, as a little kid, he was my favorite founding father. I had my mom read me every single book on him that we could find, including the autobiography, which like I need to reread those things because. I was probably like seven. It's free, public domain. Oh yeah, I'll yeah. definitely like need to read over it. But I just remember like, cause cause there's a family there's a family story, and I think it's I think it's a little bit legitimate because my dad's done some more digging, um, that we're actually related to Benjamin Franklin, like you know way down the line. Um, my dad recently was just in North Carolina looking around, and he found a grave because our family comes from that area, mm-hmm. 
it was, I think it was Jonathan brother of like, I don't remember if it was Jonathan. I don't think it was him, but it was another brother. Cause he had like 13 siblings yeah. and it was like, you know, he was the youngest. Some, I think, yeah, he was the youngest. And then it was like Jonathan, like, you know, Franklin of like brother of Benjamin of American fame. So like, I could potentially be related to like that extended family somewhere. Oh my goodness. Well, or at least it's like, what would you yeah. ask? Uh, oh man. I was just kind of like, how would you, he just was so interesting in the way of like how he thought about things, exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Like my favorite story, I remember it could be an autobiography. I'm trying to remember. That's I right. think this is a real story. It was uh, the story about how in grade school, they were like taught to memorize like certain phrases in Latin. And then um, he, he had like a really good friend that like struggled with it a lot. And he like helped him learn his like phrase. And the teacher, when Benjamin went up to recite his phrase in Latin, um, the teacher called out his friend's phrase instead of, like, his own phrase. That, so, like, instead of, like, just saying what he knew because he'd helped his friend study, he just kept quiet because the teacher got it wrong and got in trouble because the friend wouldn't have been ready. Um, and I just, I, that's not necessarily the question I'd ask, but I guess the question I'd ask would probably be... Uh, how to set like, up how the user funnel of- for locality. Maybe, yeah. No, no, but for real though, it'd be like, you know, how did you go about like balancing, like kind of what we're talking about earlier, it's like balancing, you know, all your thinking, all your experimenting and playing around, right? Because he, he honestly just played. Mm-hmm. He was know, very playful. Like, different things. Yeah, he, he was experimental, but he also got results out of his experiments. Like, and I feel like sometimes one of the reasons it might be difficult today is to get something out of thought is because, you know, the, the levels and the complexity that all of us are now thinking is, much deeper than it used to be right like um not deeper but in the extent of like nowadays like you know the, the the, we're, playing with, we're playing with what we're playing with atoms that's the new frontier right mm-hmm. it's not we're playing with like concepts anymore. a lot of the hard stuff has been figured out already <laughs> yeah that, that's a good way so the only new stuff to figure out is even harder and like back then you know people were worried about um tilling their fields and like you know, we, we have a lot, a lot easier lives. So yeah. we're left with a lot more time to, to think about this and that versus, all right, well, I have to go wake up and plow this field with my oxen. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot different. A lot of, a lot of the reason he was able to do that and be so playful and inventive was he was retired very early in his career. Uh, so he had that, I mean, 30, 40 years of productive retirement to, build and invent and create social groups. But that's enough of a, that's enough on Ben Franklin. Check out his autobiography. It's in the public domain. You can get it on yeah. Apple iBooks for free. Anybody worth a read for sure. Uh, Kyle, do you have a, a question? I got a bunch here, but I don't um, know what you're I, I think maybe we should go through uh, coronavirus, but also I want to know how you like your <laughs> coffee. Oh, my coffee? Yeah. yeah. We've been to coffee shops before, so I should know this as your friend, but I don't. Oh yeah. So, uh, if I'm making my own coffee, I just like black with a little bit of cream, but if I go somewhere, I'll get a white chocolate mocha with like half the white chocolate mocha, like the white chocolate syrup, uh-huh. like half sweet. It's like, I like the taste of it, but it's like way too sweet. So I just like want a lot of coffee with a little bit of that syrup in it. Basically. That might be a move. Yeah. That's pretty good. Those things are always so sweet. Yeah. Well, uh, Kyle, you got the coronavirus question. 
load it up? Not necessarily any question, <laughs> but I would Let's... like to, to to talk about it with you just because uh, I haven't seen you in a while and it's kind of the most yeah. pressing, pressing event that's happening yeah. in the world right now. Um, yeah, it is. What's it like where you are? You're where right now? In Georgia, I'm assuming? I'm in Georgia, my hometown. Uh, there are nine confirmed cases of coronavirus publicly, but publicly we know confirmed. some people who work at the like hospital and stuff. They're like friends. And they're at least You're two going to publish doctors. It, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this doesn't count. Like, it's not reported to who, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, We've got a pretty large listening base already. Some high, oh, high yeah. up offices. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about how nobody's going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's like those just aren't, those, like, the, the few doctors that aren't reported in the, like, listings yet, at least. Um, but also, like, here it's not too bad. One of the biggest issues is, like, people aren't actually quarantining themselves. Um, we yeah. live in a not Adherence super is really great low. educated. Yeah, like not everyone's super well educated here. Um, so because like we had someone come to my dad's office and like drop stuff off and like we handed it to him, like he stood outside the door. We handed him the stuff, but it was like he was saying like over at Home Depot, like there are just like dozens of people there because they're off work now and they want to like work on stuff. So they're just all crowding Home Depot. <laughs> you know, not. <laughs> that sounds like a stock tip. Yeah, dude, honestly, like, honestly, I'm so mad at myself because, like, if I had been, like, not paying attention to school, I would have had the epiphany of, like, I should invest in, like, video game companies. Yeah, or Zoom. They're, <laughs> yeah, or Zoom, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, what do you think um, is going to come of this? What, what, what consumption patterns will change? How will, how will yeah. the world uh change long term if you know anything about the economic stimulus package what do you think about that i don't know enough to comment but i will say this is kind of on a little backwards because you're saying like how are things going to change well this is something in, in a retrospective way it's like if you look at back at history of other you know plagues and other things you just let everyone die this is kind of the first time society has said we're going to stop economic production right we're going to slow yeah. it down to save one to two percent of the population of people right that's pretty amazing if you think about it that we are willing to stop everything to save like one to two percent of the population which is a lot of people like don't get me wrong that's a mm-hmm. huge number of people no but historically but, like, it's just let them die exactly historically it's let them die we have to support ourselves we have enough now that we can continue on without focusing on production well i think that the argument is not that one to two percent of people won't die in the end. I think that the the, the stopping of the um, economy is so that the medical like field just doesn't get absolutely obliterated by um, like a mass influx of people needing attention. And exactly. So- but that's inter- that's definitely interconnected because the reason we want to yeah. stop that from happening is to prevent masses massive amounts of people from dying. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because like if the medical, you know, companies and hospitals get over flooded, right? Well, they can't properly care for everyone and they'll die. Yeah. Um, which is just really interesting to think. It's, it really is just a numbers game. You know, it's, it's like if we can forestall this, um, we'll have enough room for people to be, you know, healed. Yeah, well, or, see you know, how at least receive proper, proper care, per se. Mm-hmm. We will see how it plays out. Uh, yeah. Kyle, that's, that's all I had. I think this was a very fun conversation. We always love chatting with you. We'll have to 
go to the river walk, go for a jog, go swimming, do some sort of spontaneous activity together in Tuscaloosa. Uh, get some, get some, get some white chocolate mochas. <laughs> Half sweet, no sweet. Yeah, I'm just hoping to get everything back to normal sooner or later. But it's probably going to be at least at least until August. This is going to be normal. Yeah. So. I don't know if our current idea of normal will be ever returned to or if we'll have permanent cultural differences. I will say this that I've observed that we're kind of going back to Kyle's question. Like what are habits that are changing? Like I have noticed in a sense, like, um, like there is a bigger sense of community that I really enjoyed. Like, I feel like I've talked to my neighbors more and my parents have said kind of the same thing of like, we've actually talked to our neighbors more like we're, you know, waving at each other from across the lawn or stuff like that. But we're still talking. And when mm-hmm. I go on a walk around the neighborhood, I'm waving at everybody. Everyone seems more obse- accepting to like do that. Yeah, that's nice. And yeah, it's just really right. interesting. I'm really happy about that. Rallying around a common enemy always brings people together, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's just a great thing that's that this is hopefully going to do for our country. It's, it's been so divided in a lot of ways that hope kind of get people to be like, we care about each other again. Yeah. Yeah, so, completely. It's beautiful. Uh, well, yeah. thank you so much, Brian. This was, hey, great. It was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you for joining us. Best of luck with locality. Hit us up if you want some user feedback and all that good stuff. Sounds uh, awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. Okay, well, that wraps up an interview with Brian Mathis. It was great. Lewis, what'd you think? Yeah, uh, super glad we invited Brian. He's a fun guy. Always good to talk to. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you don't mind and, and come back next time. Cool. Thanks, Kyle.